It's the TEH podcast, episode number 124. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macamos.com. How's it going, Gary? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. You know, New you're treating uh, you well, I hope. So far, yeah, just been busy with stuff. Uh, I've got I, some stuff I'll talk about later at the end. Sure. I've been doing the, this year so far. It's been it's been an interesting couple of weeks for sure for many many different reasons. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So what we were what we decided to talk about this this week uh, was mm-hmm. to focus a little bit on CES that just happened. I think it was last week, mm-hmm. and it's weird because of course, like everything else, uh, CES has gone completely online, which to me it's it's almost a contradiction in terms or an oxymoron or something. How do you have a trade show mm. that's Online, right? I mean, the whole definition to me of a trade show is you get a bunch of people, um, you know, in some kind of d- display space and start hawking your your products to one another. Um, I I don't quite get it, um, and I certainly didn't quote unquote attend CES, but I've been looking at some of the uh, the roundups from some of the other news publications that did whatever attending CES means this time. Hmm. It's funny. CES is one of those things where um, uh, it's uh, uh, there's always lots of products that sound so cool, um, that are just so exciting and so innovative. Um, and some of them take off and some of them, not so much. Uh, the last CES I went to, um, in Las Vegas was, um, the hot item. I mean, you couldn't walk more than about 10 feet without seeing another one of these was 3d television. You remember 3D? Yeah, yeah. Which version of 3D television, or was it all the different? I I think they were. I don't know that there ever was a version. I mean, it was like yeah, you know, everybody had different their 3D technologies. And and some of them you had to wear glasses for, and some of them you didn't, and and it was just weird. It like I said, you couldn't move more than about ten or fifteen feet without bumping into another one. Um, it was very cool, but you'll notice that they're not around anymore. <laughs> right. So the, the whole concept of, of what may or may not be getting a lot of attention at CES uh, it's interesting. It's always interesting, but it's not necessarily an accurate predictor of the future. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so with that little you know caveat in mind, um, I, I, like I said, I grabbed a couple of articles uh, on uh, CES uh, online, one of which was actually from ces.tech, which is the actual That's official, the official, yeah, official okay. website. Um, and, uh, you know, they hand out awards and honorees for various types of technology and, te- you know, innovation and so forth. Now, you had to straighten me out on this. When I first saw this website, when I first went to this link, and I'll, I'll caution all of our readers, it looks like um, that three out of five of the innovation awards are Bluetooth earbuds. Um, and admittedly, there's a lot of Bluetooth earbuds out there, not, not around, but um, the, the website is just organized poorly, to put it gently. And uh, that's not necessarily the case. The winners actually span a much broader range of, of ideas and um, technologies. There's a lot of Bluetooth. I mean, everything is getting Bluetooth connected, which as from what I'm hearing is not necessarily a new CES thing. Uh, it's certainly uh-huh. been popular the last few years to 
to connect everything to yet another app on your phone. But um, that tradition continues. And so that's one of the reasons I think I just f fell for the fact that there were three um, Bluetooth earbuds um, and everybody's trying to compete with Apple, of course. So these would be the, the Bluetooth earbuds that actually work with Android phones and others. Was there anything that you ran across there that, that you know tickled your fancy? Oh, lots. I mean, uh, you know, I looked at those links. I, I've never, I'd never gone to CES, but I had gone to similar shows. There used to be one called E3, which was basically CES, but with games right. in mind. It but was it was cool. similar in size. It was massive, uh, overflowing many mm -hmm. different uh, halls. Like a, a one year I went, it was LA Convention Center, and only part of it was at the LA Convention Center. You actually had to go to other locations. It was so big. Right. Um, Similar thing. You walk around on the to the booths. Uh, you get numb to the you know just booth after booth after booth of just gadgets and stuff. And mm -hmm. um, and I I got the same feeling looking through the CES official site that I kind of felt when I was at one of these shows, which you know minus my feet hurting by the end of the day. <laughs> um, it, you see so many gadgets, and each one you know. It looks like, oh, you know, they're saying this is the future of technology. Here, we have this thing. Mm -hmm. And then you see so many, you're like, well, you know, 99% of these you're never going to see again. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, there may be, they may actually be products that some people may buy, but they're not going to be like AirPods or, you know, uh, Surface notebooks or, you know, some other thing that just becomes kind of like everybody knows what those are. Oh, yeah, it's one of those, you know. Right. Um, it's just they either become niche products or maybe are never even picked up for mass manufacturing at all. Right. And they kind of, it's a weird feeling um, seeing the effort put into some of this technology and knowing that it's, you know, a lot of these just, the effort goes nowhere. Everybody gets reassigned to new projects and works <laughs> on something else. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it's it's weird. So there are tons of products there. And, you know, everything from, you know, CES always has lots of bathroom-oriented products, <laughs> toilets and bathtubs and sinks that, uh, you know, are technologically, you know, enhanced in some way. Um but I saw, uh, you know, in the category of things that we wouldn't have expected to see, you know, from one year ago, there were at least two face mask things. I thought those were really interesting. Blue yeah. Enabled face masks, right? One was just a Bluetooth headset, you know, that was just right. face, face mask with a Bluetooth headset built in. No brainer. I don't know if that's going to, you know, catch on or whatever, but there's that. The other one was interesting. The other one was more than that. Did you see that one? The The game? The game version um i saw razor i think the the one you could look through it's actually a, a plexi yeah. always looks like plexiglass in front of your face yeah and yeah. so you could see your mouth and which there are other ones i've seen other ones that are non-technology mm -hmm. they basically are like a foam mask so it's a foam like so that's pressing against your face and then your your mouth is visible through right. clear right. uh plastic which of course you can't breathe through so there has to be vents on the side right um and you know, the idea being that you could see your face, which is anybody now recognizes the need for that because, you know, I walk around, I take the dog for a walk and very friendly neighborhood. And I am used to communicating with everybody I walk by simply by smiling. Right. I mean, that's what you do. You walk by, you walk, you know, dog and you smile at somebody. And uh, 
that's my level of interaction. Yeah, and suddenly so that's robbed of me because now I've got this mask on and the person, uh, you know, whatever looks at me, I have no way to communicate whether I'm pissed off that they are, that they're, <laughs> you know, that they're, that they exist in front of me or whatever. And I, of course I'm smiling anyway, and hopefully they can see it in my eyes, but um, the, this game mask does more than that. Cause it had illumination. Like there was like at right. night, it would actually use LEDs to illuminate your face. Um, which was interesting. And then it, you know, how the breathing kind of worked through the sides was kind of neat. I mean, it was using gamer technology, basically the stuff they used to build headsets and stuff so, for gamers. So help me understand. Cause I'm, I've cer certainly after we all started wearing masks, the concept of a transparent mask became a yeah. need for that became pretty quick, uh, uh, aware of that pretty quick, yeah. not necessarily because people can't see you smiling. I think we're all becoming better at, at recognizing uh, mm. a smile in the eyes, but um, uh, for the hard hearing, for the, for the hearing sure. impaired yes, folks. Yes, that's another, that's they, another uh, thing. They desperately needed to be able to read your lips. And that was, I think, one of the things that first pushed um, a little bit stronger promotion of the transparent uh, masks. What I don't get is I don't understand how being able to see your face or your mouth applies to gaming oh i think it's just because it's a gaming company and they're using their kind of like process that they use to build different gaming headgear for for making a mask in other words okay you know it's like there's a shoe company near me that basically stopped making shoes and started making face masks using like their equipment that sure. they used to stitch together shoes sure. so i guess everybody's got their own take on it i mean that's i don't know you you you're welcome to go and check out the listener is welcome to go and <laughs> check out the, the listing and, and judge for themselves um the uh oh i did see somebody uh, or one of the winners i think or at least one of these articles mentioned a pair of headphones top of line headphones for 500 bucks uh by some company you know high-end stuff Mm -hmm. Really great high-end stuff. But of course, I'm inundated in the whole world of, you know, where Apple came out with these $500, uh, you know, AirPods Max and right. the people saying, I'm I'm never going to buy a pair of headphones that are 500 bucks. And then other people saying, you know, there are are already $500 headphones yes, yes, that people buy. Yep. Yeah. So it was the same thing with the Apple Watch. You know, people said, I'm never going to buy a $300 watch. That's incredible. And it's like, well, you know, people buy like $5,000 watches. Right. So there's that. Um AMD seemed to be, I think on all three of these links, uh, I found AMD stuff. Apparently AMD has a new processor coming out mm -hmm. that they're really happy about. And I think that was mentioned by itself, but also a laptop that was going to be using that, mm -hmm. which got me wondering, is, is, is Intel being hit by both sides here? They are. They absolutely yeah, they, are. Yeah. Um, the, so the machine that I purchased early last year um, mm -hmm. that we're soaking in right now, as a matter of fact, is an AMD processor. Yeah. And um uh, as it turns out, uh, yes, there's a lot of speculation that uh, Apple, or I'm sorry, Apple, that um, Intel is having a very bad year, uh, specifically because AMD is being so successful on the PC side, and Apple, of course, is just leaving them behind. Yeah, well, and even just like, you know, from the Apple side, just the idea that, you know, ARM is it's not an open uh, thing I and mean, they have a license to it, but other mm -hmm. companies can develop arm processors too. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not like, well, okay. So they lose the Apple market. Well, they lose the Apple market and they could potentially be losing other markets as well as other companies jump on the arm bandwagon. Right. And, and then if on the other side, if AMD is outperforming Intel's own architecture, <laughs> yes, then, yes. Ooh, boy. Yep. Yeah. 
Yep, it's 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 challenging. They still, I mean, AMD and Apple and and Intel all have the advantage that producing a chip is hard, right? I mean, not just designing one, but actually the physical process of manufacturing these things requires an incredible investment. So it's no surprise that a company like Apple would step up and be able to do something like that. I don't know, and I think that that's probably what they have have rested on their laurels, so to speak, and perhaps not innovated quite as much as they should have, thinking that, yeah. well, nobody's going to come in and start making chips when in fact, um, you know, the the big two that are their current competitors um, are actually doing it and doing it very well. Yep. Um, I have a few others too I want to talk about, but I want to uh, throw it back to you and see if there's any you were anxious to bring up. Sure. Well, you already mentioned the one, the Bluetooth mask. That one kind of got my attention just because okay. it cracked me up. Um, and I can see it being useful for, uh, just call it the road warrior. You know, you know those folks that always have a, a Bluetooth headset in their ear. They're always yep. talking on the phone. Well, now they can do it with a mask on and it would be comfortable. Um, well, especially in yeah, people in certain professions, um, it, it just gets difficult. Like I can't imagine needing to, to use the one, but maybe if I was say a Uber driver, right. Then it's like, well, I'm putting my mask on. It's on all day. Yeah. yeah. You know? So yeah. yeah, a Bluetooth mask that's washable yep. and high quality. Yep. Yep. It all makes a lot of sense. So the other one that I, that I, that just caught my eye and I don't know if you caught onto this as well or not um, on the CNET page, there's a, um, a picture of a Cadillac showing off their Halo self-driving concept car. Mm. And I took a look at that picture. I said, you know, this looks hauntingly familiar. And then it dawned on me. Um, it really, really, really reminds me of the self-driving cars that are in, I think, the last season of Westworld. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, these are, you know, Westworld, of course, is a very futuristic um, world that they've set up. And uh, the vehicles that they envision have no drivers and they are designed very, very differently. Uh, you know, there is no driver's seat per se. There's like a wraparound couch in the entire vehicle. And that's what this Cadillac car looks like. And I'm wondering if they took some of their design influence from what they were seeing on uh, on Westworld or on TV. It's an interesting concept. And I think when we get to driving self-driving cars, um, that kind of approach makes a, makes a lot of sense. It might go both ways. I would imagine the people doing the designs for Westworld were probably looking at trade magazines and oh yeah thing you know things like that there were you know uh, so some of that may have come from those same designs that you know that they were working on and maybe you know you sure. and I don't read the you know, some of the stuff that uh, that they read and and they got it so yeah. So I think that, you know, one of the, you know, like I said, the, one of the themes that I kept running across was Bluetooth everywhere, but also this concept of self-driving and automated um, vehicles. The other thing that they announced, of course, or yeah, what announced was their, um, what do they call it? E-V-T-O-L, E-V-T-O-L, uh, air taxi. Mm. I, you know, and I, this morning I was watching yet another um, uh, flying car uh, uh, video where, you know, they actually had a, uh, a gyrocopter that basically was a car with a gyrocopter built into the back and it could fold in its blades and so forth. That, again, another theme, that's another wishful thinking theme. I'd love to see that happen more, but um, it'll be interesting to see if people can actually uh, make progress on that one. At my last CES, in addition to those 3D TVs, 
one of the things that was getting a lot of eyeballs was uh, drones. In -hmm. fact, um, there was one display of a couple of dancing drones. And of course, the thing that was, was magical about them at the time, of course, is that these were two devices flying and they were flying in perfect synchronization. That's a case where things really have moved forward and really have taken off, literally, no pun intended, that, um, uh, you know, we've seen now displays of thousands of drones, uh, you know, performing uh, aerial acrobats and doing some really pretty impressive, impressive displays. Uh, So that's a case where, yes, this little glimmer of something at CES some number of years ago actually turned into something real. I don't know if self-driving slash flying cars are going to be it yet or not, but it would be interesting if they were. Well, I could see more of a need for self-driving flying things than even self-driving cars because self-driving cars, plenty of drivers, right? It's just more efficient probably not to have a driver, mm-hmm. but a, self-dri- a self-flying self <laughs> uh, you know, craft, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not easy to get pilots. You know, if you have to have a trained, you know, pilot, somebody with that experience and that level of education, just take you from point A to point B, it's going to be a lot more expensive than if you just have the machine take you from point A to point B. Right. But I do think that that is much, much further off, not necessarily for the technology, but for the licensing and regulation. Right now, anything that flies, you need to be a licensed pilot. In fact, even for certain, for most drones, Mm -hmm. uh, you actually need to be, have a, a, uh, some kind of a pilot's license. Well, the big gets, ones, you mean. You actually get yeah. something from the FAA. Yeah, the big um, it was just yesterday, I think, that they finally announced the, a specific drone from a specific manufacturer was going to be allowed to fly autonomously, um, which, okay, great. That's a step in the right direction, but it's a very slow step. And that's the kind of uh, uh, thing that I think will slow down um, the adoption of this kind of stuff. Uh, more than the technology itself. Now, that being said, you know, autonomous driving has been around for a while and it still hasn't taken off even, and and it's not licensing that's been getting in the way, it's the actual technology. So hopefully that will too, will continue to improve. Um, You were mentioning earlier the, um, uh, besides the masks, or besides the masks, you were talking about a number of things that we didn't necessarily expect at the beginning of last year that are turning out to be quite popular and making noise mm-hmm. um, at CES this year. Um, touchless. Touchless anything. Uh, touchless toilets, touchless faucets, touchless elevator buttons, touchless everything. Doorbells. There was a touchless, touchless doorbell. Touchless that doorbell. Yeah. I, note, I noted. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that too, like I said, in, in you know, categories I would not have predicted. Uh, that definitely falls into uh, into that bucket. Yeah, I hope um, I, I hope we see more of that. I, I did note the touchless doorbell I saw because, first of all, the technology has been around for a while for for this stuff. It's not like they had to invent something this year, right? To have touchless button, basically touchless buttons. That's all it is. And um, but there's, I don't know, big failure of the technology. It, you know, you walk into a public restroom. And they have those touchless faucets, right? Mm-hmm. And oh, come on, how many times they usually don't work? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's gr- like, what's why can't they get these things to actually work? There's a great Family Guy mo- or uh, sequence where um, the primary character Peter Griffin is mm-hmm. basically at one of these, you know, four sink bars, and he 
puts his hand under one and the next one goes off. So he moves yeah. over to there and the first one goes off, you know, it just makes his way down the, uh, down the line of sinks. And it's always the wrong one that finally comes on. I know. It just seems weird that it, it seems like they, they fail really quickly or something, but I did see this uh, touchless doorbell, which actually something about five years ago, I tried to do on my own, not because I wanted a touchless doorbell. I just wanted to be notified whenever a package was dropped off on my porch, mm -hmm. which should have been easy. And mm -hmm. first I bought some sort of camera kind of thing that was supposed to notify me if it spotted somebody on the porch, not, you know, not a, like a, a video recording kind of deal, but just using the image to say, Oh, something's changed right. and, you know, report it. And I couldn't get it to work because um, there's too much traffic in one direction, the streets there mm -hmm. and the other direction, the shadows and light. To, so it was, you know, it was a mess. Then I tried even one with like the little lasers, basically like when you have your garage door, you know, it's got the oh, little right. sensor, right? It's yep. the opposite of that, right? It tells you it, it's looking for a situation where somebody trips it right. and that I couldn't get working either. Um, and I looked for a touchless doorbell and I was like, why doesn't this even exist? You know, I couldn't find it. And, you know, something just to tell you when somebody's there and I, I could see that getting adopted um, as the norm at one point, although uh, it just, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like, like, it seems like it should have already been the norm. Like we should already have indicators in our front doors, whether it's apartment buildings or homes or whatever, that just tell us when somebody's there. Right. Um, well, so. to be fair, I mean, you know, I, you know that I've got ring doorbells on my doors and yeah. um, they pretty much do that. Uh, right. Depending on how I've got things configured, they will absolutely do motion sense and tell me that there's something moving uh, in front of like my front door. So maybe uh, it's I, skipping it's skipping the simple sensor and going right to the full-on video recording. Well, and nowadays the the video record probably is the simple sensor. Um, even if you don't yeah. record, just using video to detect motion probably is easier than some of the other alternatives. The thing that I don't like about the video doorbell that I'm looking at here, and I think it's probably the one you're talking about, it's on the uh, CNET home or page for this, mm -hmm. um, is that apparently you're supposed to stand in a specific spot. And that's ah. what triggers the doorbell. That just seems error prone. Yeah. Um, I expect a lot of both false positives and false negatives. What I was expecting, um, and is something that I think I hope will become more common, is just you know wave your hand in front of it, right? I mean, that's an easy thing to do. Yeah. You don't have to touch it. Just wave your hand in front of it, and it can detect that kind of motion and poof, ring the doorbell. A LiDAR detector should be able to tell if somebody's standing there and waving. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the one of the other, and I don't think I saw this at CES, or maybe I did see it CES related. Uh, one of the issues a lot of people have with keeping safe with coronavirus is uh, elevator buttons. And there are two solutions. One is I've seen now for months, the silly little thing you can put on your key ring. That's basically a glorified ring for your finger that has a bump on it or, or a, a, almost a screwdriver-like attachment to it that you would then use to push the button instead of actually pushing yeah. the button. But um, uh, what I saw was this kind of like aftermarket thing you can put right next to each elevator button mm. that had this little arm that reaches over and sits on the real elevator button so that you wave your finger in front of the de motion detector and then that little arm actually pushes the button. 
<laughs> Why not? Sure. I like uh, steampunk kind of deal. It, it is. Yes, it, it really is. But it's one of those things where that, that clearly can't take off just because, um, you know, it's so expensive to put on. You know, if you've got a tall building, you've got a lot of different <laughs> buttons. You've got to put those on in a lot of different <laughs> elevators and you know that they're going to fail. Um, I, what I do expect though, and I'm, I'm hoping that this will probably happen is that over the course of the next couple of years, we will see the elevators go to a touchless technology almost natively. Yep. Now, you know, the one thing that might get in the way with at least the doorbells is, you know, the younger, the youngest generation, Gen Z, the teens and early 20 somethings now, they don't use doorbells, apparently. They text when they arrive. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I've, I've seen that myself. I've seen usually the smart thing to do is you pull up in the car or, you know, when you're walking up the path, you text and say, I'm arriving. So there's a little bit of a, you know, advantage. You Fair warning. Say yeah. before, but <laughs> I've even seen the person standing on the, on the front porch texting right there instead of reaching out and using the doorbell, um, which I, I don't know. It, it's kind of an interesting Interesting. Like I'm totally, I'm not totally against it. Like, I don't think that's oh, a no. totally crazy thing to do. No, it kind of makes sense a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, And when you think about it, you know, Amazon um, is doing something similar with their deliveries, right? I mean, not only does my motion sensor go off when the um, Amazon delivery person drops a box at my front door, but then like in a few minutes, I get a text message that it's been delivered or I get an email that it's been delivered, which cracks me up. I get an email with a picture of the box. Mm -hmm. sitting on my front door. Um, so yeah, that same kind of thing is happening. But yeah, there's so many different ways to approach the problem. I don't think we'll ever really um, um, eliminate the need for doorbells though. Well, it's such <laughs> a simple technology. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised you didn't mention one of the things on my list. I was sure Go for that it. you would mention it. Uh, rollable phones. Rollable phones. <laughs> so the deal, two different companies showing this. Um showing phones that are rolled. So the screens are rollable. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that the screen is more of a, uh, it's a little closer to paper mm -hmm. and it could roll out like a scroll and one had it doing it vertically. So the screen, you know, it looked like it was maybe, you know, a couple inches wide and almost square, but then you could, you know, press a button and the top expanded to make it, you know, like a two to one ratio. Um, so it was rolling up and another one kind of showed, you know, it rolling out to the side. Um, so the screen curves and rolls out like a sheet of paper and you have a, a larger screen, but then it rolls back and then you could stick it in your pocket. Interesting, right? You know, Those, foldable didn't seem to work. So go yeah. with rollable. Yeah. And foldable, they're still trying, right? I mean, there's yeah. still, I think Samsung has got a couple of them out now and there's others, but they're still trying with foldable. Uh, the, the foldables that I've seen fall into two categories, the, the ones that work and the ones that don't. Yeah. The, um, uh, the ones that work are the ones that aren't really a foldable screen. They're just two screens that are hinged very close to one another. Uh, so that, you know, there's this little break in between, but they're really two separate flat screens that don't bend. Those tend to work and you just get used to it. The ones that um, I think are the most problematic are the ones that literally physically fold. And for all the obvious reasons, I could, I just can't see how that problem could be solved. Rollable falls into that same category. Um, but it, I, since it's not stressing it quite as much as an actual fold, there may be some hope there. What cracks me up as you're talking about that though, is that uh, we've seen these phones over and over and over again for years um, in our various sci-fi series. Yeah. 
Um, you know, there's always something that comes out of somebody's pocket that is, um, you know, about the size of a current phone, but then they pull something out of the side or they tap something on and all of a sudden it's two or three times wider than it was before. Um, and that's what they're interacting with. The ones I like right now are the, uh, uh, the semi-transparent ones on the expanse. I don't know if you're watching the expanse, no, no. but I like you- the semi-transparent phone concept. Cause you see that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things, but what they're doing is rather than actually having a screen uh, that gets bigger, there's the main screen that you're holding and using like a phone, but then you expand it and it actually kind of projects the image in front of you off the side. Holo- of the phone. Holographic projection. That's something I have been interested in for two decades now Yeah, is the idea of, you know, at first it wasn't mobile devices. I was thinking in terms of a computer screen mm-hmm. that, basically took up no space. It was a bar at the bottom and holographically projected the screen above right. it. Right. So kind of using 3D technology to create a 2D screen. Yep. Um, it's, you know, the, the concept behind it is kind of viable. You know, you have two basically laser-like beams that scan in space. Mm-hmm. And when they intersect each other, you know, if you take two flashlights and you, you know, that have fairly narrow beams and you intersect them, it creates kind of a bright spot where their intersection is. Right. So the idea is, you know, you have these two extremely fine beams and they scan the space and basically create a hologram up there, you know, and you, you see a computer screen, but there's nothing there. There's just air. Right. Um, and I'm surprised we haven't seen more development in that. And that's a lot of times you see this in phones, uh, you know, pe- uh, concepts with, you know, sci-fi movies with phones, like mm-hmm. you were saying that they just, the screen appears out of nowhere or even yeah. just, it's not even a phone. It becomes a wristwatch or, or something. It's on Are the you arm. Are watching um, Discovery, Star Trek Discovery? No. Okay. So um, one of the plot points is that Discovery goes a th- roughly a thousand years into their future. So we're talking, you know, year 30 or 3,300 or 3,400. Anyway, um, what happens there, though, is that a lot of the technology has changed over the course of that thousand years. And one of them is that their little comm badges are actually now portable displays. So what they'll do is they'll you know tap their comm badge and all of a sudden in front of them, mm-hmm. it will then project the screen for whatever it is they're wanting to interact with. Right. And, and then the accompanying technology to that, uh, assuming that voice-activated computer stuff doesn't ever get far enough, um, is having holographic keyboards. Right that somehow use magnetic fields to somehow detect, you know, the kind of the interference with your fingers as they sure. run yep. over it. So, you know, and I've seen that in a couple of various sci-fi settings. So, you know, the keyboard projects, the screen projects, the, you know, the computer could be just about any small object. Um, and, uh, and you could type away and see things. I, I, I don't know. It's interesting stuff. Um, and, you know, I wonder, sometimes I wonder about like the fact that it's new ways of doing what we already have. So like, you know, by maybe in the future, we will be able to have keyboards that are come out of thin air and screens that come out of thin air, but will we have already passed by the idea of screens and keyboards? At that point? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, we right, have the technology right. to do this now, but, but people are like, why would you want to have an old 21st century screen and keyboard? <laughs> Although to be fair, to be fair, there was Dick Tracy's wristwatch, right? His, yeah. his video watch. 
And um, you know, that kind of sort of came to life. So we don't necessarily veer completely off of what, uh, what's been predicted, but yes, the, uh, the, usually the reality is always somewhat a little, at least a little different. Yeah. Um, it will be, uh, I hope to see those things too. The other thing, one of the other things that caught my eye, and yeah. this goes to the uh, wired.com article, is the quote-unquote best TV. It's a TCL 6 series, but what the thing that gets me is it's 8K resolution. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. So I have seen a couple of articles that question whether um, at, you know, in-home physical sizes, right, you know, 60, 80-inch TVs, um, whether 8K matters, Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, are we already at the maximum of what of the quality we could expect to be able to just see at 4K resolution? Um, and is 8K really necessary? Uh, Lord knows it will increase the bandwidth requirements for streaming those shows in 8K resolution. But um, I, I just, I too, I wonder sometimes if. Uh, 8K is really necessary, much like at the time I was wondering whether or not 3D was going to hit it. Uh, so th- that being said, though, you know, if I had to replace my TV today, um, not only would I get it to be slightly bigger, but I would probably get the highest number of Ks I can. And if that's 8K <laughs> right now, then that's probably what I would do because I know it would be backwards compatible for a very long time. I think we're approaching the limit with 8, 8K. You've got to um, be, yeah. And, you know, just for the human eye, but I think, I think it's good to be over that limit. <laughs> um, and, and it may not be that you get the most use out of it actually watching a movie or TV show. Mm-hmm. It may be that when you want to look at your photos, you know, and put them up uh, on the screen, yep. you know, that's when you really, oh, you know, that's beautiful. That's, that looks yeah. like a paint, you know, a painting or maybe, maybe not even your photos, but turning it into say wall art, you know, I've seen right. that. It's something I want to do at some point is have the TV that's above my fireplace when we're not using it, mm-hmm. <laughs> have it show art. Right. Right. Cause whenever I've seen that in something, a TV show, I've always been like, yeah, why don't we do that? Um, and having an 8k screen may be the thing that actually makes that much more interesting. Cause it really does look like a painting or whatever yeah. The other place that I suspect the 8K TVs will um, will actually succeed, assuming that they could, you know, uh, make it to market, um, is sports. Because yeah. what's going to happen is, uh, in your local sports bar, this mm-hmm. single 8K TV is going to be running at least four different games simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> each in HD or or you know some kind of high definition. Um, that uh, uh, you know everybody can watch at once. So multitasking, it's a great multitasking tool. Well, I saw there was another TV um, that was a 110 inch screen, uh-huh. uh, $156,000. Of course. This is like the most CES thing ever. If you wanna really know what CES <laughs> is like, the, so it's a 110 inch TV, $156,000, right? Yep. But one of the features that was listed right near the top was you could set it up so that it actually showed four different TVs. So it acted like four different, you know, 4K TVs or something. Right. Um, right. And I thought, well, wait a minute. <laughs> if that was your goal, you could save a lot of money. I save a lot of money. By it's getting really nice four TVs. Four 55-inch <laughs> TVs. For, you could probably get those for like $1,500. <laughs> 
you know, and then there you go. Done deal. Yep. <laughs> you don't yep. need to, you don't need to wait for this thing to come out and spend $156,000. I'll set it up for you. I'll only charge you $120,000. What I do like though about CES and those kind of products is that, um, you know, whatever that product turns out to be, I have no idea, for example, what the price on this 8K TV is, or if it even has a price yet. Um, the, um, I'm looking here to see if they yeah, mentioned- it's TCL and they're not, they're not high end. They're usually priced for consumer stuff, which I think is like the deal here. Yeah. It's they like, have, oh, they're coming out with an AK TV. Then yeah. They're not coming out. They don't quote a price in at least what I've been able to see yeah. here real quick, but for that $150,000, whatever it is, you know, that if it's, if, can be a harbinger of things to come. And yeah. if it succeeds, you know that it'll be a ton cheaper four years yeah. from now, right? Yeah. Um, we've, we've seen that over and over and over again. We always jaw drop at the prices of some of these new technology when we first encounter it at CES. And then some number of years later, the ones that make it have become so mainstream and so mass produced that they're incredibly cheap. It amazes me even to this day, how inexpensive uh, televisions of any substantial size have have in fact become um, certainly HD 4K is starting to get pretty cheap these days as well depending on what you're getting um, so it is a it is interesting uh, not necessarily to get too excited about the price but just know that if it takes off uh, it'll there'll be some incredibly good bargains and you can wait just a few years indeed there there was I have one last item on my list and I saved huh? the best for last oh cool. Because it was the one that I am genu genuinely interested in. And it also fits a lot of weird criteria for CES. One that seems to be coming out really soon. It seems to be reasonably priced. And it's completely like, you know, oh, yeah, of course. Why wouldn't they have this already? Um, it's the Infinity Game Table. So, oh, yeah, I saw, I saw a short video on that. That did yeah. look pretty interesting. So it's basically, it's a table that has a large screen you know, iPad type of thing in it, right? right? It's a large screen tablet uh, in this table. And it's a decent sized table. Four people could comfortably sit around it. And the idea is you play board games on this touchscreen. And the board games they have lined up are the are real board games, Monopoly, Scrabble, right. you know, all the, uh, you I know. I saw the them playing chess and it did a really yeah. interesting perspective shift as you were uh, uh, taking turns. Yep, and it, you you drag things around on the screen. Mm -hmm. um, it takes care of things for you the way it should. Like they kept showing Monopoly in that video, um, and it you know does the banker for you and the rules for you and all that, mm -hmm. which is exactly what it should do, right? Take take the non fun stuff out, uh, make it easy. You could save games, which was I think is a huge thing. You could be in the middle of the game of Monopoly, or Scrabble, and then save, mm -hmm. and then come back the next day and resume that game you know even maybe playing another game in between um and it had multiplayer functionality obviously multiplayer sitting there together but also over the internet oh, so yeah. you could actually challenge somebody else that was playing so you could pl be playing scrabble against somebody else um it the game animation and the stuff they were doing seemed decent like it seemed like they were we're going for it. It mm -hmm. wasn't like, this is our demo. It's like, no, they, they look like they were getting ready to launch this. They did say something about next month and also $600. Oh, cool. Which is like completely affordable. Now I I'm wondering since these games are kind of all connected online, if it's $600 plus, plus yes. a, you know, $20 <laughs> a month, yeah, which would be really, yeah. yeah, that would be really smart because I think it would be hard not to pay that. Like if, if, I could sit down and play a board game with my family every once in a while 
and then I'm weighing that against Netflix, you have to go and inside say, oh, wait a minute, it's far more valuable to me to have family time, right, with the board game and family, you know, playing this game than it is to have, you know, paying, paying for TV shows. So the know. other part of that too, is the, is the remote aspect of it, especially, you know, while we're still in lockdown, the ability yes. to, instead of just staring at each other over a zoom call, you were able to play a game of chess, um, you know, together, um, you know, if the thing built in, not only the game, but also, you know, the audio component, at least, if not, maybe some video, yeah. um, that would be an interesting, an interesting use of the technology too. Now I have to say that, um, this technology is not new. Mm. Um, about, gosh, I want to say five years ago, at least, if not longer, the original Microsoft Surface was not a computer. Right. Oh, yes. I remember that. The original that. Microsoft Surface was exactly what you just described. Um, you know, a, a upward-facing display, essentially, built into a table uh, and, you know, with a touchscreen and so forth. Now, that never did go anywhere for real. And obviously, they reappropriated the name to go for the computer line. But I thought that at the time that that, too, was a very interesting technology. Now, it wasn't anywhere near the $600 range, but it was five years ago. And that also goes to the point I was talking about earlier, that sometimes the things we see five years you know, today that are really expensive end mm -hmm. up becoming really interesting and really cheap uh, given enough time. So well, yeah, succeeds. I'd like to see that one. Yeah, if this succeeds, I think it would be because you know they they found a niche, right? right. Because the, that Surface table, that was a computer. This is, no, this is for board games, right? This is right. for putting it in the family room, putting it in the den, you're playing board games, and I'm thinking it's going to be a subscription service. I don't know that for sure. I don't think they mentioned that in mm -hmm. the uh, so, so maybe it was the kind of thing where the technology was right, but Microsoft didn't quite have the right application right for it at to the time. Off, have to take um, off, yeah. And also, you know, with uh, tablets coming so far since that, mm -hmm. I could see the price coming way down. You know, it's oh, you want to touch, uh, you know, something at that size that's touchscreen and you know runs it probably runs like an Android operating system or something like that you know it's far easier to do that today right than back then so right. anyway that was the thing that it was like out of all the stuff I mean, i'm not going to even the stuff i found interesting i'm not going to get a rollable phone or, or buy one of these uh, you know bluetooth headsets or any of that stuff but then i saw this table and i was like oh here's something i actually want like i if i could actually buy one for six hundred dollars right now i may actually just buy one for six hundred dollars right now at the at the other end of the of the uh, what I buy at Spectrum, because you're right, I, I can envision that desk, that table, game table sitting here in my office even, um, is, it's, so I'll, I'll end the C, my CES uh, takeaways with this one, the Kohler Stillness Bath. Oh, yeah, okay, I saw that too. The, the high-tech uh, bath slash soaking tub slash whatever um, yes, it's a smart tub and it, let's see, let me, I'm going to read just some of the, the, the description here. Uh, it includes a system to fill the bath to your preferred depth and temperature. Okay. Mm -hmm. An experience tower, which dispenses atmospheric fog. Yeah. I like that. Including essential oils and the infinity experience, which overflows tinkling water into a Hinoki wood reef. I, I mean, Okay. It again, no price listed. Probably can't afford it, but um, that too is another one of those. 
peak CES kind of things, right? Mm -hmm. There's always something um, just completely off the wall that uh, seems really super impractical. And yet that everything, everybody says, you know, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah. If some hotel uh, chain, yes. you know, luxury hotel chain said, Hey, let's, let's uh, get these bathtubs. Yep. Um, yeah. They could like, charge hey. a premium for those rooms. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. It, it resorts and spas and stuff that have, yeah. So there's, there's a market, there's a market for that. I could, I could see that product. Well, it, it, that was um, Kohler, right? So yes. it, so that's going to happen, right? I mean, that, that's a real company that, I oh, mean, absolutely! They, I believe they, they don't go and say, "Here's like the thing we're we're, we're uh, our startup department." Thinking about, no, yes, <laughs> yeah. This is like no. They come out with high, you know. They have the whole end of the spectrum from this, right. you know, the thirty dollars faucets that you could buy at, you know, Home Depot, all the way to the you know high end stuff that you have to go through a designer to actually yes get yeah yes. So uh, it's funny. So CES, you know, I have mixed feelings. Uh, I, <laughs> I that's their motto. I yes. <laughs> See, yes. You have I, you'll have mixed feelings. <laughs> I, I appreciate seeing so much of this stuff online. I appreciate um, you know, they're not being aligned to the bathroom, which is part of the the traditional CES experience. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. on the other hand, you know, I kind of miss the real thing. I I'm thinking that at some point um after the pandemic is over. Um, after things are are back in their in their more normal swing or whatever that turns out to be after all this, um, I might have to actually physically go to CES again someday. You know, I would be up for that, but only if it was like maybe we maybe we got a group together to go. Right. Like I think it would be much better experience since yeah. we don't have business to conduct. Right. We're not looking to purchase a. Yeah, we're not out there you know, trying to make they, a deal. Yeah, yeah we're not there <laughs> trying to make a deal. You know, if we got there were like three or four of us. And we decided we're going to go and we're going to go together and we're going to experience the different things that we see together. And it, that might be a really fun TEH road trip. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> we could do a whole year's worth of shows in, you know, three days and then yeah, just, just about. Yeah. Uh, but that last show would sound so horrible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd really. be so tired. Yeah. So. Anyway, so that was CES. I thought that was kind of cool. I think they yep. did a fine job of, of you know, being able to do something in the pandemic. Um, so kudos to them for pulling it off. And we'll see what next year brings. In other Ain't It Cool news. Yes. Um, I, oh, two things. One, I finished, I finished watching uh, the series Away on mm. Netflix. Have you seen that one? No. So that is the story of, um, essentially, it's, a story of an astronaut who basically has to leave her family behind as she becomes one of the uh, five, the team of five that make the first trip to Mars. Mm. Um, and it's, from my takeaway, I really enjoyed it. It was very interesting, uh, as is typical for space dramas. I'm always noticing the things that, you know, don't work quite right. Right. I mean, you know, that's not the way it would work in zero gravity or, um, you know, if you're going to spin something like that, then something has to spin the other way to offset it. You know, all those kinds of, of um, uh, physics and, and scientific practicalities that end up rearing their ugly head that uh, fortunately, uh, uh, you know, movie producers have the luxury of overlooking. But um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I won't, you know, give away any of the of the plot line other than to say one of the complaints that I read 
on IMDb of all places was that uh, no professional team of astronauts would behave the way that these astronauts are behaving. Uh, there's, there's, you know, there too much would, um, you know, there's just too much drama in, mm. in essentially what would otherwise be a very functional mission for quote unquote real astronauts. And I kind of sort of tend to have to agree, but uh, it's the drama that kind of made things sort of interesting and sort of thrilling along the way. So, and yeah, aside from the, you know, the occasional, you know, no, it wouldn't do that. Uh, it was a, it was a fun time. I enjoyed it. So I think you might enjoy watching it as well. Okay. Um, I just started reading Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman, which uh, for those that haven't seen it or haven't read it, it's one of those books that people like me are supposed to read, right? It's mm. it's right up there with Goodell, Escher, Bach. It's one of those things where if you're a physics nerd or a math nerd or a computer nerd or whatever, uh, you're supposed to have read this book, and I never did. Uh, so I just started it last night, and it's turning out to be a lot more fun than I expected. For whatever reason, I, I was expecting it to be pretty dry because Feynman's a physics teacher. He taught at Caltech until he died. Um, but apparently, um, he was quite the character, and uh, this is actually his memoirs. Uh, so it's written in his voice and in his style. It's very accessible, very readable, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to finishing that up over the course of the next couple of days. Cool. Have you read that one? Add that to my list as well. Yeah, you should. Um, I was trying to think of, you know, ain't it cool? Like what, what, what shows have I started watching or finished watching on Netflix or, you know, mm -hmm. what? And it's like, well, boy, I haven't done too much. What have I been busy with? And then it occurred to me, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Several nights over the last couple of weeks, uh, we actually sat down, my family and I, and played a board game, but an unusual set of board games. Um, of course, we're all familiar with escape rooms. And it was something that my family and I did occasionally but in the before times. <laughs> um, not something it's easy to do now, although I think that some of them you can go and they disinfect the rooms and right. stuff like that. Um, but uh, my wife discovered, um, I don't know why it never occurred to me that this would exist, but that there are, you know, you can get boxed escape room games that you play at home. And have you ever done an escape room, Leo? I have not, but I do uh, know the concept for yeah. sure. Basically, you're you're hunting for clues that that help you yeah. get out of the room. Yeah. A lot of puzzles, and you know, a lot of the puzzles you do in the escape rooms really they don't need to be in a separate room somewhere. You know, you're maybe solving sure. a code or yeah. whatever. So it makes sense that you could easily translate that to a board game. Uh, so so my wife discovered a series uh, of three called Escape the Room by Think Fun. And they had uh, three boxes. Uh, we got one of them for the holidays and liked it that we immediately liked it enough. We immediately ordered the other two, mm -hmm. and then we played through all three now. And they were just great, uh, uh, great time. Just you know, you open the box and there's envelopes, and you have to you know solve the puzzle and get the right answer. And some you know it leads you to another room or part mm -hmm. of the room. And you open another envelope, and it's very much the same kind of puzzles and stuff. And you work kind of as a team. And there's usually somebody in the group that's like, oh, those, I know how to solve that, you know, right, or I know right. how to get the little rope out of the knot or whatever it is. <laughs> you know, it's very physical, tactile kind of thing cool. that, you know, uh, lots of things. So we had a really good time uh, putting those together. I think the first one we did, uh, we went way over the amount of time. You know, it was supposed to take like two and a half hours or something to finish. And I think we went to four hours. <laughs> and we may have even gotten a clue. You know, they have some clues you can do. And we, you know, used the clues to cheat a little bit, you know, legitimate cheating. 
And, uh, and, and then the second one, I think we came in at about the right time. And then the third one, I think we finished in like, you know, uh, it wasn't even close, it was like yeah. an hour and a half or something. You figured um, out because, their style or whatever. Yeah, we were yeah, just getting, yeah. well, we were getting good at working together to solve the sure. puzzles, you know? Um, so, you know, we immediately would, you know, read the, oh, this thing here. And then one of us would grab this part, another grab this part, and then we'd work on them and, you know, we'd compare notes and it was good, but it was anyway, good fun, uh, very different than what I usually talk about, you know, TV shows or video games or whatever, a little board game. The only dis, you know disadvantage is you can only really play these once. I was thinking about that. It seems like this is a problem to be solved. And once it's solved, you're done. Right. So, and you actually even kind of destroy parts of the game while you're doing it. Cause sometimes you fold things, sometimes you mark things up. Mm -hmm. um, they do actually have instructions for the parts that are destroyed, how you can print out new parts. They have oh, uh -huh. them available online. Uh -huh. So there is like a whole, it came with a whole set of instructions of how to reset the game. So you could then pass it along to other family members or resell it or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what it was, I think there were like 20 bucks a piece or something. And you know, going to an escape room would have cost more than that way more <laughs> and taking the same amount of time. And this was completely COVID safe, you yeah. know, just the, us sitting in our house. So anyway, even, that was even my, taking that's the my family, thing. even taking the family to a movie would cost you a lot more than that. Exactly. So, exactly. Yep. And this was a lot more interactive and good, good time. So. Very cool. Uh, let's pay the bills. So this week I would like to point people at an article that I've written called is passwordless sign in safe. I don't know if you've run into this. Um, you probably have somewhere, I'm sure. Um, it's becoming a little bit more common where mm. you log in to, an, to a site, you go to log in, they ask you for your email address, and then instead of asking you for a password, they say, okay, we just sent a magic link to that email address. Click on it, and you'll be logged in. Right. It seems kind of icky. Uh, but it's actually more secure than having a password, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, it is sometimes less convenient, but uh, medium.com is the one where uh, if you choose to set up your own account rather than logging in with Google or Facebook, um, they do this. So I log into medium.com quite a bit uh, on different machines. So I had run into this, but I just thought it was interesting. And I, I wanted to let people know that, you know, it's actually kind of sort of a good thing. How about yeah, you? it's kind of like one factor but it's the other factor. It's not the password. It, I call it's it factor and a half. Factor and a half, yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, I've got actually new courses. I did something a little different. I usually come out with a big course, like my last one was uh, Mac OS Big Sur. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a big course and it's 40 bucks and it's, you know, four, four hours, five hours, you know, 40, 50 videos. I had a lot of topics that I really wanted to cover that just didn't need a really big course. Or if I was going to do a big course, it would have to be huge, like hundreds of hours. Right. And I, so I started creating these mini courses and they came out really well. And instead of, you know, taking the time and doing a whole thing where it's like, I have a new course and it's a mini course, I, I grouped three of them together hmm. and released them last week. Uh, one is a course on using the Photos app on the Mac, which is, you know, just one app to organize your photos and stuff. It didn't really require a whole four hour thing. Uh, another one was using Automator, which is the Mac's, you know, kind of automation tool where you can script out of building blocks, uh, repetitive tasks and things. And I do a lot of videos on Automator. So this is like a beginner's course, you know, learning how to use it and all. And then Final Cut Pro, but it's just a beginner's guide with the idea being, you know, if you're a student or an amateur filmmaker and it's like you just got Final Cut Pro and you just want to get up to speed fast, 
<laughs> you know, you, you don't want to go and spend the next two months learning Final Cut Pro like you're in film school. You just just teach me how to edit video in Final Cut Pro, and then I'll take it from there. So these all three of these courses end up being exactly 10 videos long and a little over an hour and a half a piece, and I priced them at 20 bucks a piece. I have a launch sale going on now with my newsletter to get them like 40% off until the end of this week. Um, so it's interesting. So instantly my, my site grew by three courses, yes. but I'm calling them mini courses. Um, and, uh, and I'll put a link you can find out more and there's a sample lesson for each one of those courses. That's free. Cool. Cool. Mm -hmm. It actually does sound like an interesting model. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I also want to throw a shout out to, um, uh, sort of, since we don't really have sponsors, I at least want to acknowledge, um, our spiritual advisor, uh, freeprintable.net. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And of course, um, Randy out at thisistrue.com, who is graciously providing the hosting for the website and the audio. Indeed. With that in mind, I think that'll do it for this week. The show notes for this week are out at tehpodcast.com slash teh124. If you've got a comment or a question, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH Podcast, or you can always leave a comment on the show notes page. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. And we will see you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.